This is Medicine on the Frontier, a unique expeditions podcast hosted by Luke Whittle-Gillard and Matt Hans. Hello and welcome back to another episode in our mini-series of Medicine on the Frontier. I'm Luke and I'm joined by my co-host Matt. Matt, how are you doing? Very good, mate. Thank you. Slightly cold today. We are at uh, well, nine and a half minus. Yeah, winter is definitely set in in the far north today. And just to be clear, guys, he sat in his car. He's turned yeah, it the is, engine it off. Is, it is this rock and roll. The kids are in the house. Luke was late, oh! which really, which really ruined my day. And um, and yeah, now I'm sitting here freezing in the car, which I can't have running because otherwise you'll all hear it. So yeah, lucky well, me. It serves you right for living somewhere so beautiful. But guys, as always, we're going to start this episode off with a story from the expedition world. Now, this episode is actually going to come out in a week and a half from when I'm actually recording it here with Matt. But I was just at the Royal Geographical Society Explore Festival. It's an awesome festival. And I met some really cool guys. They got sponsored by Oxford University to do something called the Cyclops Expedition. And that's in the Cyclops Mountains of Indonesia on the island of New Guinea. Now, it's absolutely awesome, you know, this trip going out to a part of New Guinea where no one's ever been apart from the locals there. There was no information. There was very little maps. It was, you know, Matt and I have talked about, you know, mapping in the jungle is a pain anyway. You're basically looking at trees uh, from a satellite image. But it's just been released today on the 10th of November that they found a lost mammal, the David Attenborough echidna. It's not been seen for 60 years. And they also found a shrimp, Matt, that lives in the trees. And it's just, from a biodiversity point of view, it's so cool. Oh, it's fascinating, isn't it? Nature absolutely blows my mind. Every single time something new like this pops up, um, I just feel that, yeah, I need to get back out and continue exploring. I know. We're, we're going to get out to the jungle really soon, hopefully. You know, next year is rocking around. But it just proves to me that these, you know, there are so many expeditions out there that go out to try and prove something. And there is still so much to find. There's still so much that as expedition team members, you can contribute to amazing science. And that's, and that's what they've done today. But there are some big issues being where they were. They were in the middle of the jungle, up in the mountains. And it, you know, it's a perfect conversation starter for us today. We're going to be talking about water, everything to do with water and, and water purification. Uh, I say everything, there's probably going to be a lot more we need to talk about, but we're going to try and talk about it anyway. So Matt, to start off with, break it down for us. Obviously water is H2O, but what's actually in water? What else is there apart from the water itself? I think you'd actually be pretty horrified to find out all the things that were in water itself. And that obviously depends very much on, um, on where the water source is we're taking it. But I mean, a simple test of tap water will show oh, things God. such as heavy metals, chloride there's all sorts of things that um that just pop up where they shouldn't be and one would think the further into the wilderness you go the cleaner that water will be um sadly that's also not true it's not um, no so you know water is that one resource we need to have access to at all times um but equally understanding the water source itself and understanding how we collect treat and process that water to be safe for use is really really important so we've got you know to break it down and every water source is different and i think the important thing you know uh, there's a joke with some people i went to morocco with last year i tried to do a, a certain uh, famous outdoor person impression by drinking from a waterfall the water was fast flowing but i just wasn't used to the water there and so even though it was clean technically 
um, I got quite ill. And so your body really does need to adapt. So even if you, and it seems obvious, but even if the water is very clean, make sure you take all those steps because there's bacteria, there's viruses, parasites. You know, if you're in a farming area, there's fertilizers and pesticides. Don't, definitely don't want anything like that. <laughs> and, you know, and even nowadays, it, it's terrible to say there's plastic. There's plastic in, in most water that we drink. Um, apart from maybe if you're in the high mountains, you might be lucky. But I was speaking to, again, someone at the Explore conference whose job is to study microplastics in high alpine regions. And it's crazy how much they're finding still. So you never know. And of course, there's fecal waste as well. So you've got to think about that, both animal. And if you're in a camp, we're going to talk about it a bit later about where you actually pick up your water. You actually got to think about the other people in your team. You don't want to be, you know, drinking um, sort of uh, toxic water. So no, absolutely. Let's uh, let's get into it. There's loads of different products out there. And I think people often get confused. Matt, Matt do you have any preferences on products? I have, but they're usually um, reserved for specific locations. Certain things work better in certain locations. So I think if we start at the very basics of what do we mean when we say kind of identify, collect and process water, mm-hmm. um, then let's let's kind of break those down into the parts. So if we look at the the identification, first of all, you know, as you mentioned, a good moving water source is usually best that would be my optimum of course you know if we're in a pinch then we're going to have to really extend our use of uh of equipment to process water but good fast flowing white water i tend to look for even if it's in a small stream anywhere where the the water's being aerated and it's moving quickly is usually a good sign of um that sediment would be falling to the bottom of the flow mm. and anything caught from the top of that flow would potentially have less sediment in it um again that's not a that's not a given but um it's a relatively good guess obviously looking higher up anywhere than any other use of that water source so we're going to be washing we're going to be cleaning ourselves we're going to be um, collecting water for cooking all these kind of things our actual water collection for drinking has to be the highest point in that water source that's usually Mm -hmm. a good way of thinking about it um so we always tend to do the dirty stuff at the bottom i tend to break a river system up into ultimately water collection um, bathing and kind of general hanging out and then below that we would have washing of humans and then below that we would have the kind of final washing of pots and pans and things that we needed on an expedition um, to try and keep that use so we've identified a water source it's always useful to take a walk up said water source and see what's up there you could well find a dead animal stuck you know has been caught in a flash flood stuck in between some trees quite often in the uk you'll even find you know sheep and things stuck in sheep fences on on little becks um so we've identified where it is it's obviously not too far from camp which is usually quite convenient however when we're on the move we're collecting water on the move so we'd be identifying these water points as we cross the river or cross the small stream they are usually good points to keep those water uh, containers filled up and then we need to deal with the water then what do we do now you know and i tend to break my water into two phases clean and dirty and that's it um nice so and dirt, yeah nice and simple don't overcomplicate it dirty water is that either inside the water source still or it's in a container which hasn't been treated that container for me would be a dirty water container i tend to mm. mark them up with a bit of duct tape on them or something so i can identify it as being my dirty water container um and then from there, you would treat that water. And then the water that comes out of that container is then clean, but the container itself isn't because that container has maybe been submerged in uh, in the water source. So I tend to use a bag, uh, like a, a hydration bag. Uh, I've got a really cool one from um, 
I think it's from Camelback, and it has a tap. It's a it's a three liter water bag with a small hanging handle on top mm. with a tap on the bottom. I find that works brilliant for collecting the water. The main reason is I can actually use a, a scarf or something similar as a primary filter as the water's flushing into that container. I can then do whatever it is I'm going to do. So if we imagine this is about as basic as we get, I'm going to be using some form of chemical. Um, my uh, tipple of choice is iodine. Oh, love it, a bit of iodine. Yeah, I just find it better than chlorine. I think the uh, drinking pool water has never really done it for me for long durations, whereas iodine I can, I can stomach a little bit better. Um, so from that point, I would calculate the correct amount of iodine, and that's usually done um, by you know judging the temperature of the water, which will give you an estimation of how many capsules of iodine solution you add to your water. Let it sit for the recommended time, and then I decant from the tap into a clean drinking container. And I tend to do that um, at the beginning of the day, uh, and then I fill that dirty container up, set it in for, for reprocessing again. So it, I've always got kind of water on the go, if you like. Um, mm. Now, there is certainly technologies that make this cheaper. Um, about two years ago, I was introduced to a product called the Grail. Okay, what's now that? The, so the Grail is a, it's a water bottle, basically, um, but with a built-in filtration system, which is done under pressure. So it's a carbon filter. Uh, if you imagine it's an outer sleeve, which you would use almost like, um, it's basically like a, a, a one-liter water bottle with a lid cut off the top. And sliding inside there on a, um, on a rubber um, gusset, I guess, a, a gasket, slides in a secondary container. Now, when you push this container in, what it does is forces the water through the charcoal filter mm. and into the internal chamber. And that has a, a standard hydration drinking screw cap and you can drink that water. Now, I found that I, I've tested this twice now on two separate expeditions where I've used purely this, no iodine, no chlorine, only the grail. Um, I've had absolutely no effects with illness. Um, I mean, the, re the reports of the, the product are very good. I do trust the, um, the science behind the product, but I, I do like to test them out as well. Mm. Um, the best thing about it was the taste. You had no issues with chlorine, no issues with the taste of iodine. It was fast and efficient. It was instantaneous, really. You collect the water in the river source, push the, um, the center cartridge back inside, and you could instantly drink. And I, for me, moving around, especially in the Arctic and the jungle, that was a fantastic thing to have because mm. it meant any water source that was at hand, I could literally scoot. I mean, we tried it with um, putting cordial in, like orange cordial. Oh, okay. You couldn't even taste the orange. It would literally filter out the cordial from the water um and all discoloration i was pretty impressed actually you were um i mean it completely destroyed the filter after doing that because all the sugars from the um <laughs> from the cordial ate into it but um but yeah i was super impressed so that's one obviously there's many other types of sure. uh, gravity pumps filters hand pumps that have been used over the years um so let's break those down then matt so obviously chlorine is sort of seen as the and when you go into an outdoor shop, that's what you have. You normally see it's certainly it. the gold standard. Yeah, the, I agree the gold with that. standard. It, it's it's what they have it in you know rap, uh, sort of your MRE style twenty uh, four yep. hours supply box, and they either come normally. If I have to use chlorine, I'm an iodine man as well. They will come in a tablet form, normally one liter or uh, or ten liter uh, packages, or now they're coming in this liquid form. And I think the important differentiation between chlorine and iodine is that when Matt and I use iodine, we have iodine crystals. So it means that really on an expedition, you'll take a small pot, about probably a bit smaller than my fist, 
uh, and you'll just pour normal water into that, and that the iodine from the crystals will diffuse into that water, and then you're pouring out that water without losing the crystals. So it means, for most aspects, you have an endless supply of water purification. Unlike in chlorine, where you've got either the packaging from, you know, you've only got as many tablets as you take. Yep. Yes, you can take many. Um, the, it is the iodine's in a glass bottle, so don't break the glass bottle. Uh, although, you know, we've, we've done some I was gonna say, I've had the same bottle for yeah. 10 years, and it's, it's never broken. So, you know, and I haven't broken one, and I'm Captain Chaos, so you should be fine. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I find that the new one, this chlorine two liquid solution, doesn't work for me. I think if you lose one a bottle by accident, because they're quite small, well, then you're scuppered. Uh, the taste is terrible. So if I had to make the choice, I would go for iodine over chlorine. Now, I think it's an important thing. You know, you mentioned the orange cordial. A lot of people use the electrolyte sachets uh, when, when yeah. you're out and about it. And that's really important. Uh, you know, you don't want to become sort of uh, in a state of, of hyponitremia, you know, being low on sodium and your other electrolytes. The important thing to note, and, and the science is sort of there, but you know, they need to do more research on it, is that chlorine and the electrolyte bind together. And so if you're, I'm not sure if you've ever had this, Matt, but sometimes they've seen that actually if you pour, like you say, your, your dirty water bottle, if people yeah. will put electrolyte tablets into that water after, the, after they've purified it, and what's actually happening is, yes, the water you're currently drinking is going to be fine. It's already been uh, cleaned by the chlorine. But the residue from the electrolytes will stay in the bottle. And that way, then, when you next put a chlorine tablet in there, it means that not everything will get uh, disinfected. So it's really important, as a, as a side note, if you're using electrolytes, we all use mugs. I think you're the same, Matt, as, as Josh and yeah, I. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the very reason why is because mm. of this. Um, we actually started to notice this. A about six, seven, eight years ago, when these electrolyte tablets became really popular, um, we started seeing these plastic tubes, very similar to the kind of Barocca style tubes of these hydration tablets that you could that you could stick in, and they were fantastic, and they were kind of game changers because the taste of water is pretty Terrible. boring <laughs> when it's um, when it's been mixed with uh, with chlorine and stuff. So everyone's looking to to add a flavour to that drink and. What happens is, as you say, people stick that tablet in and then we get this residue left over, which binds to the um, to the chlorine and then makes it less effective. And we started to see that people were going down with, with stomach illnesses, um, claiming that they'd been obviously treating the water. And then it, that's what it was. They were using the same container for everything. So as mentioned, I decant, especially when I'm going to have anything like a rehydration sachet, I decant into a mug. Um, and I use that mug and only that mug for drinking. And I actually monitor my water intake by the amount of mugs of water I drink through the it's day. It's a good so way I, of doing it. Yeah. I, I tend not to sip continuously. Um, I find that's less effective for me. It actually makes you slightly more tired. Mm. Um, there is something kind of nice about stopping and drinking half a litre of water. Um, not only that, but your body can only absorb so much water an hour. Um, so continuously sucking on a, you know, a, a hydration pouch with a hose in your mouth um actually it's not gonna it's not which is what most people do especially yeah. when they get tired um you see often with large groups trekking the people who look the most tired are the ones desperately sucking on a camelback um hoping for another burst of energy to to give them and that's that's what it is so i'm a big fan of the mug for exactly that reason and i think you, you mentioned some other products that the grail is great i haven't used that yet um but there are other bottles out there you know i know life straw now has their bottle um yep. which is really good 
uh, and then there are some other ones out there. I think the important thing to remember anytime you're going into this environment is to clean these filters. Uh, I think a lot of people will sort of have the same bottle for years and then they don't realize that they actually do. It, it needs a service and think about the lifetime of that product as well. And there are some other products out there. There's all these filter straws as well. So I, I think, you know, the life straw was the was one of what one. And then I think that, that was the first one. That wasn't was the it, first that came one, out. I think. Yeah. And then there's the Sawyer. The Sawyer is what I use simply because the Sawyer is smaller. It's a bit yeah, the Sawyer brand's it... very well renowned as well within the uh, the water filters. We've had Sawyer pumps before that we've used, and they're good. Um, and, and they're they're all... really good. But as you mentioned, the downfall with any filter system is the filter. Yeah, <laughs> you have to have you know sometimes, uh, especially in tropics, you know there's a, so much sediment in the water. Yeah, that um, these filters are getting eaten up ten times faster than they usually would. Um, the Grail actually states, I, I'm, I'll have to double check, we can maybe add it in um, as a note later, but the, um, I think it's around about three or 400 litres it will do. Maybe it's 250 litres for one filter, yeah. which is not a huge amount. No. Um, but I found in the jungle, I did, definitely didn't drink 250 litres and it was done within five days um, because there's such a high sediment value, which would mean you would have to be carrying extra filters with you. Um, and again, that's all that kind of weight space trade-off um yeah. but again for the ease it's i would good. definitely i'd definitely be taking a grail and a spare and, filter and next the time. new one uh, you know i think a lot of people obviously will say well you could also boil water guys uh so the new grail as far as i'm aware is titanium which means yes. that you can you can actually put it under a, a flame uh, and use it to boil water as well I think the other, I mean, I'm a big fan of multi-purpose equipment, you know, mm. so just having a grail that I could also boil water in, in the container, um, for me is a huge, that's, that's my new feeding pot. That's my new cooking pot. Yeah. Um, so all of those things you've got to remember, um, try to take a product with you. That's unless it's an absolute emergency piece of equipment, like a med kit. Sure. I try to have all my other pieces of equipment as multi-purpose as possible. Mm. Um, so having, of course, thrown in a packet of chlorine tablets in the bottom of your bag, perfect. You've just covered yourself for, you know, 10 litres of water with an absolute emergency. If you need to, they're always worth having. Yeah. Um, but do have your filter system and make sure you've got the spare filters um, and make that assessment. And we've talked a lot of these products, you know, we're talking about individual carry. In a group, Josh and I uh, were in uh, Ulamuda in Malaysia last year. I'm, I'm sure you had the same sort of the MSR system of having, if you're in a group and you're trying to filter you know, enough water for everyone, we were eight people, is that there's uh, companies like MSR that have pieces of kit where you've got two bags, dirty bag, clean bag, and then a filter system that runs between the two yep. bags. It is Just a standard gravity. Gravity yeah. bags. And I think the important thing there is there are no mechanical pumps or anything to go wrong. There are mechanical versions out there. I stay away from them because I'm like, that's one more thing to go wrong. Yeah. Um, but those are really good and, and they compact down really well. So we've got all of this and Matt, you've sort of alluded to it there. We often talk about first, second and third line gear. You know, first line gear is things I've got on my person. Second line gear I've got on my webbing in, in the jungle, especially we wear a belt kit. And then third line gear is, yeah, it's a, it's a luxury. I've got it in the bag. Um, yeah. So how do you divide it down? What are your, because you obviously take multiple pieces of water purification kit to be safe. Uh, what are your uh, sort of pieces of gear that you put in the different levels? Yeah. So, I mean, 
usually my on my person lookout on any expedition is you know i'm dressed with uh clothes and with a small chest rig on and that small chest rig is a little hill people gear um runner's bag um mm. it's nice small tight and compact in there i've always got my iodine bottle so which um is a it's actually a bottle made by a company called polar pure i don't know whether they're even in business anymore just for a reference for the podcast the use of iodine is not recommended for water purification um at all globally it's probably worth saying that um that's why you will struggle to buy a iodine um water bottle. purification yeah. system online and you won't be able to get the bottles um However, I made a relatively good assessment purely based on taste because that's how I do most things. Um, and uh, I, I've chosen that over. But yeah, so I have my bottle from Polar Pure with me with my iodine uh, granules inside. Um, and as you mentioned before, that's almost an unlimited supply of water purification. You dilute the granules, which makes a solution which you can uh, use as an additive to your water. Um, tied at the bottom of said chest rig, I now have a grail. Um, oh. I just have it. <laughs> I have it attached there because therefore I've got my water system with me. Um, you know, I'll carry a small knife in there and, and other elements of my everyday kind of carry. Um, and then if we were to add on the belt kit and stuff, there's another water bottle there. In there within the med pouch is um, a, usually a, a pack of um, chlorine tablets just as a backup. Uh, and then we will have group kit in, in my rucksack then. Um, we've We kind of touched on sourcing water. But water's sourced much kind of in many other ways than just, you know, going to a river with white flowing water. You and, don't uh, always and, have a river. <laughs> and dipping your grill. We're not always that lucky. So, for example, um, there's certain sites that we use, especially where you're tropical. There's a lot of rainfall and it's quite rocky. Um, so coastal jungles are quite good for this. You get rock seep and that's where water is literally seeping out of the rock. It's true kind of bedrock water. Um, one could argue that's pretty highly filtered. Um, just because the very nature of where it's coming from, but uh, I treat them the same. On Lankawi, on one of our island locations, all group water is collected from a rock seep, which is basically packing in some kind of um, fabric into a rock. So I tend to use like an old t-shirt or a towel or anything you can find, really, to pack Hopefully it into something crack. clean. <laughs> something clean, but again, we're going to filter it. You can't guarantee everything above that's going to be clean. So uh, yeah, try not to use your dirty Y fronts, but um, you know, <laughs> anything else you've got pick it in the holes and then you know there we get a little bit elaborate i make a small guttering system from bamboo and feed it down and fill up a large barrel that we recovered from um from a storm uh, and that gives us ample amounts of fresh water mm. and actually being surrounded by salt water and having fresh water available is uh, a real godsend um it's and quintessential it's, isn't it yeah it is it's uh it does make life a little bit better um you know there's other methods if we just take that particular location being on a beach warm environments um this can also work in the deserts we have a, a system which is known as a solar still mm. um now a solar still is where you dig out um about a two meter by two meter area of the ground obviously the larger area you do the more efficient it will be but you know equally we have to understand we're restricted by what comes next which is a a sheet a tarpaulin style plastic sheet that goes over the top i actually carry a, a super thin um plastic sheet for this in my rucksack at all times um whilst operating in these kind of climates so you dig down a, an area about 30 40 centimeters down and then you place a pot in the middle um a pot to collect the water in you lay on top your plastic sheet you can tuck it in with sand along its edges so it's strung tightly across the hole 
And all you're going to do then is drop a small stone right in the middle, directly over the top of the pan. And what happens there is the sunlight comes through, we start to get that moisture up, it condenses on the plastic, it runs down and drips into the pot. Actually a very efficient method of collecting yeah. water. Um, not particularly fast, but equally you could have multiples. Um, and if you were to run multiple systems on an area of uh, a beach or desert, you would be collecting enough water to sustain life at least. And this, and this is, I think it's important to know, you know, some expeditions, this is much more on the survival side, I guess. This is, you need to be permanent here, just like with the guttering. It's these are things yeah, that take I mean, a the, day the, or the, two to fill. I mean, the solar, the solar still will. It's going to take a day to fill, like a, a good kind of one and a half, two liters of water. Um, but again, it's certainly something you could do on an overnight. Yeah. Um, another option would be to to place a large plastic bag over um, over an area of a tree or a bush. Yeah. Anywhere with with leaf matter, plant matter. Tied up tight, you get exactly the same thing. Obviously, what you're going to get there is all the water just pulls up in the bottom of the plastic bag, and then you can just come underneath with a cup, use your blade, and uh, trickle the water out. That's what everyone does on YouTube because it looks good. In reality, you've just fucking broken your plastic bag, haven't yeah, you? So, what normally that. you do, don't do that. Untie said plastic bag and pour water into the cup, save yeah. bag for another day. Uses the, um, it's kind of my method of doing it. But yeah, there's many ways. Um, Obviously, salt water, we need to desalinate that water. Um, there is, you know, there's pretty elaborate methods for making um, stills from that and boiling that water and catching the the steam and having that condensing, you know, but they're pretty elaborate. And again, they're pretty long-term systems. Let, let's, um, let's keep that for the science classroom, shall we? That's, uh... Yeah, we can we can discuss that when we do a, a sailing day. I'm currently looking at um, desalitizations of, uh, of my water. But that is um, important though, isn't it? Because that's a major thing, which is in ocean rafts. It, it, it's a big container, like an ammo yeah. box is, where is, is about size. Yeah. Uh, and they have a desalination kit in there. Now, Matt, you're in Norway. Um, yes. Obviously, if you're in around snow, people might think, "Ah, oh, it's great! I can just eat the snow, or I've got an abundance, of, you know, source of water around me." Can you just walk us through? There is a method to the madness about collecting snow and using that to drink. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we can't just eat snow. Um, well, Sadly, can. it's not. It's not an icy. It's it's not as good as it sounds. Um, and even the flavored yellow snows and things aren't much better. So I would, <laughs> I would definitely collect my snow up. Um, two methods, well, many, but the two I would choose. Um, the main one would be a, a mosquito head net. Again, the kind of thing that everyone should just have in that little chest pouch. You can pick them up super cheap, X surplus ones. will cost you about fifty pence on eBay. Um, they're really good for collecting anything actually collecting mushrooms when you're out foraging collecting bark if you're out foraging for tinder those kind of things use your head net stick it all in it's a great way um but also collecting snow collect snow you can tie it up off um off a stick or something you can balance in the snow and you can literally collect the snow as it melts um if you've got it over a fire for example and it'll just drip into a pot the other method of course is to pack it into your stove itself uh, into your, your cup or your jet boil or whatever and slowly melt it it's an arborist process, actually. It takes time. Um, it's not as fast as everyone thinks it is. You get way less water than you think mm. you should. Um, but again, you're surrounded by water, aren't you? But it's very much unusable. And I'm right in thinking, Matt, that you actually need to have a little bit of water left over in the bottom of your pan or your cup, whatever you're heating it in, to actually allow that water to melt and not just evaporate. 
that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you the, the, there's two ways of doing that. A is you have a small amount of water in the bottom, and you use that to um, to allow the the kind of conduction of heat into the snow without it just evaporating. B is you just start on a very low heat um, okay. and and start melting it. But if you go in too hot, jet boils and things are the worst for this. Yeah, you can actually burn <laughs> you burn a hole straight through the bottom because most of those pot systems they actually work on you dispersing that heat around the the whole pot um not identifying a tiny small point on the bottom for the mm. uh what is necessary a blowtorch just <laughs> burning into the bottom of your uh of your aluminium pot so yeah be careful um especially on the the kind of higher velocity jet systems with the um with the gas stoves and we're going to talk about it in a different episode but obviously think about if you're at higher altitudes obviously water boils uh, at lower temperatures, I believe at the uh, Camp Fora Everest, it's something like 60 degrees. It's ridiculous. Uh, and I'm sure at the summit, it's probably about 50. Um, but the important thing is that that boiling water, uh, it took me a while to understand this, but that boiling water point, even though it's at a lower temperature, it is still going to denature the uh, the bacteria and the, and the viruses that are in there. So just to finish off then, Matt, let's say we don't have any grail, I, uh, you know, let's all cry. We don't have our grails. We don't have our iodine. We don't have our chlorine. We are just, God damn it, we're stuck. Uh, right. but we, we do have some fresh water. Now, I remember being back as a kid. They used to say, you know, think about, you know, what's around you. And it's sad to say it nowadays, but we now have a load of rubbish everywhere, right? So one of the yeah. things that I got taught was to make a pro- impromptu sort of DIY filter myself using just a, a plastic bottle that I have and then what's around me. So if you have a fire, this is what I got taught, so tell me if I've got this right, is some cotton. I always carry cotton with me in my fire kit, in my survival tin. Uh, put some cotton at the bottom, then get some charcoal from hopefully the fire that you have. Uh, and then things like sand, and then you're going to go to slightly bigger things like pebbles and then some rocks at the top. And then over that, you'll put like a, a cloth or, you know, your shemeg or whatever yep. it is. And then you're pouring dirty water into that. And then that should give you a pretty natural, clean source. It's obviously not going to be fully sterile, but that's pretty good, is it not? Yeah, I mean, that, I think the, the, the addition of charcoal is... Um is really important right in the bottom i tend to have the the cloth filter as the final um the final thing before it runs in uh in that sense because the cloth's going to filter out a lot smaller particulate than the large rocks are um Mm. so allow the system to function but yeah absolutely go up the gradients go up the the microns i guess if we're discussing it as a filter um or go down them isn't it the larger the number the smaller the hole that's right something like that (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, i always get that wrong but yeah so absolutely it works well, I can't say it's going to. Um, you aren't going to get ill because the the effectiveness of that filter, but it is better than nothing. Yeah. Absolutely, filter it out the best possible using what you've got around you, and that's pretty much the only way you can describe it. Um, you know, what do you do if you haven't got a fire? Well, you're going to have to miss out the charcoal side at the bottom, yeah. aren't you? But you could potentially give yourself much cleaner water. Um, the one big thing to remember is that the, there's there's elements that are in water that we can't remove such as these heavy metals yeah they're there um, they're everywhere yeah. yeah and that's something we do need to be aware of more so when we're in uh, collecting our water sources where we're collecting from mm. um and that comes a lot down to your expedition planning and, and seeing where you are kind of geographically um, so let's say then that you didn't have um well actually i'm gonna uh, 
change that. So obviously there's, there's plastic bottles everywhere. Uh, sadly, if you're on a beach, you know, we've talked about it in the past, how much cleanup you've done, Matt. Um, mm. But if you don't have bottles, and obviously you can use, if you've got loads of bottles, you can collect rainwater, and that's a great source as well. Uh, but there are other things. In my survival kit, I carry an unlubed condom. It's important that it's an unlubed one, otherwise the taste is going to be pretty bad. Ah, um, strawberry flavor, though. Oh, okay, maybe, maybe. Okay, I didn't think about that one. I've, uh, I've also heard that <laughs> flavored lube does not uh, does not interact with chlorine. So um, there, oh, you there, you, there, there you go. The science is there. Yeah. But yeah. So an unlubed magnum condom is uh, is really good for carrying water in a survival situation. So I have one of those in my survival tin. How do you carry that, Luke? So it's it's it. So I it's it's in the. Well, as in like well, when I'm guessing I'm, I'm, when, when you're using it or when I'm not using yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, when you're using it for water carrying. <laughs> when I'm using it for water carrying, I, so basically, I don't fill it all the way because if you've ever seen the very funny videos of them opening it up while they're driving, they, they can pop. Um, but I will literally just fill it up and then I'll I'll, t- I'll tie a knot in it at the top uh, and then and then untie it. It's not, I've only done it once or twice just to practice it. I've never been in a survival Can I give you a tip? Really. Go on, give it to me. Put it in a sock. Put it in a sock, mate. These, yeah. These, put the, put uh, the condom inside the are. put the condom inside a sock and then fill it with water and okay. it will give it some structural integrity. And then you t- you're t- not so yeah, it's a, it's a little bit delicate without That's the sock. That's true. On. That is true. But yeah, Damn. and it's more packable too. So put it in a if you because oh, everyone carries okay. an extra set of socks. So just when you fill in the condom, fill it into the sock fill and it it'll give it sock. some form. Yeah. There you go. So take double bagging. Yeah. Oh God. Um, but then the final thing is something that I saw, and I'm not sure if it's true, man. You have to tell me again if it is or isn't. I haven't tried it yet. I want to try it. Is that if you don't have anything to carry water in, uh, and you don't have any ability to filter water, one thing that you can do is find a river, and you're going to go about two, three meters from the banks of the river, and you're just going to dig a hole about a meter down. And you're going to keep clearing out that the dirty water that's going to come through. And what happens is, is that the eventually all that ground, all that soil, the sand, everything between the water and the beach and where my hole is, that will act as a filter and you can get clean water from that eventually. Yeah, I mean, I, the, um, there is a method in the madness there. Absolutely. I mean, that's no different ultimately to, to rock seep um when we're talking about the jungle location so i guess that i mean how clean that is i can't say that you're going to be uh, if you were to test that water i'm guessing it's you'd, not you'd perfect have got, is it no it's not perfect <laughs> but it, it's going to be it's going to be as efficient as your um as your homemade filter system in a plastic bottle yeah um you know the other options if you've got absolutely nothing you're very low on resource but you know you could potentially find a piece of bamboo or um you could make a bark container you know we're getting pretty specific now with skill sets of being able to make things but if you can make a container um you could then boil that water um and do your very best to just primary filter so you yeah i think if you're going to line them up as the uh the most important things to be getting rid of it's going to be those viruses and bacteria yeah for sure. um so particulate matter is annoying uh, and it does have its hazards. But I think my first port of call would be viruses and bacteria, and in which case we can deal with that. Get you ill, Kill it with it? fire. Yeah, yeah, kill it with fire or kill it with iodine. Am I kind of uh, good to go? Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've just got to get creative. That's the great thing about expeditions. It's, um, it's about carrying less equipment and being more creative so that we can start to build these systems up and we end up with less equipment, but more diversity in what we do. 
And the final thing that I saw, and some people might be like, no, I'd rather be dehydrated, is fish eyes. Fish eyes are a really good source of, of fresh water. If you're, if, you can, if, you're, if you're hunting fish, if, you, if, you, if you're on a beach, the fish eyes can be a really good source of water. That's what I've heard, at least, Matt. Is that true? Or yeah, do well, they just make well, me you, fish you, eyes? You know what? I, I genuinely, um, I can't lay claim to whether fish eyes are fresh water or not. But I will say this. If you've got enough energy to be catching enough fish, <laughs> do, and yet you are so desperately on the water supply that you are drinking fish eyes, something's gone horribly wrong. Um, so you're telling yeah. me that I was forced as a young child to eat fish eyes for no other reason but just okay that makes me feel good well guys I hope that has been an informative like quick run through of how to deal with water and purify water and carry water um, it's worth saying that there's a lot more to talk about like personally I've even put my soya onto my camelback and I've used that from time to time but there's a lot more we are going to talk about we're going to do more content on this so if there's things that you guys want us to talk about, let us know, uh, and we'll just we'll keep talking about. Matt, what do you think we should talk about next? I've absolutely no idea. I think we need to do a bit of a shout out to the listeners actually, and um, and get some topics for these. We have, and um, for those of you who are going to start to follow a little bit more with the podcast, we we often have short episodes with previous guests who've been on where they've been um, happy enough to stay behind and help us record a, a short program. What I would love to see also is in the kind of interim of those is to have some uh, some questions from the from the ground from the guys out there who are really getting into expeditions who maybe got these burning questions um, because ultimately that's what we're here for we're here to answer questions that people um, people have on their mind so um, yeah if you've got something guys please do send it into us you can get us via our socials we're on uh, Instagram and TikTok on the Medicine on the Frontier. We would love to uh, receive those messages and we absolutely build a podcast around those questions. Awesome, man. Well, that's it. So, guys, if you want to get in touch, get in touch with us. Uh, and we can't wait to sort of round off this year. It's it that Christmas is approaching uh, and so is the end of series one. We really appreciate you following our journey along as we share you journeys from other people. Stay tuned, please stay subscribed and look forward to more adventures from Medicine on the Frontier. Yeah.